0: Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Mitch Rap Podcast. How you feeling today, Mike? Chris, I am
1: feeling much better than I was on Sunday, when you and our patrons got a little bit of a text from me (laughs) that I don't know if I intended to send or not, but uh...
0: Yes, yes, you had a little bit of fun at a wedding. I I got these texts from you that... (laughs) Some of them didn't make any sense, and then I also see that you responded to our group chat. It wasn't like anything bad. It was just like very, you know, very quick, short, like not like what you're normally uh, what you normally put in into our gr- group chat with the patrons. And then I I text uh, your wife, your lovely wife, uh, the next day. Did you, did you have a good time? And she was like, oh, "Was Martini texting again? Like this is <laughs> this must be a thing."
1: Yeah, let's, let's explain to the people here. This was uh, a wedding for one of my best friends, fellow Eagle Scout growing up on Long Island. Got to go back, see my parents, see my friends from high school, and we had quite a good time at the wedding. You know, me and my friend uh, Gin and Tonic, we, we, we hung out a little bit.
0: Mm. And You're for some friends. reason,
1: in the middle of that night, I decided to check our patron WhatsApp group or our group chat. Well, someone asked, hey, when's part two coming out, and are you going to do it as a three-parter or just a two-parter? And I wrote back, well, I haven't finished the book yet, so I'll defer to Chris, and I'm pretty drunk right now, so I probably shouldn't be making a decision on that.
0: <laughs> uh, it was funny. It was funny. Nothing nothing too obscene. but
1: Sobered up the next day and recovered with some oath of loyalty. It's very good.
0: Very yeah. good hangover reading, let me tell you. Since then, you've finished the book. I don't know if I've ever been more excited to talk to you about the second half of a book than, than right now. I, I I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic, but maybe because it's just brand new. You know, like we've, this is the, our first time reading it. We never, you know, we haven't, we literally haven't texted about the second half at all. So. Right. It's going, I know coming to you live. Save it for the pot. So. Yeah. I know nothing about
1: how you feel about the book. I don't think you have quite a read on, on my reaction to the book and
0: it's all going to come out here raw unfiltered right on the podcast <laughs> i don't know if i have a read on the second half of the book like myself like it's it's evolving like so it's probably going to evolve mm-hmm. over the course of this conversation yeah same i i, th- I think we're going to
1: uncover a lot of fruit here in, in chatting this out i do just want to start with a kind of listener shout out half listener shout out and half a point to ground our discussion here on twitter uh one of our close Followers and, and Twitter friends, the Olesen family, who you can find on Twitter, at Family Olesen, O-L-E-S-E-N. They posted a screenshot of an Excel spreadsheet they made showing the list of all the Mitch Ratt books and how long they are, what the page count is. And in total, there's 8,864 pages. So he figured out, divide that by 365 days in a year You've only got to read 24 pages a day, and you can read the whole rap Stop series bad. in a year. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to read more than that on most days that you're actually sitting down, right? So you can you can crush three or four days in one and, you know, speed up that schedule. Anyway, this is a really cool list because you notice the page count keeps going down and down and down and down. And I mean, Enemy at the Gates was the shortest in the series at 352 pages and when i think back to it it really did feel that way oath of loyalty is not far behind in second the second shortest rap book at 368 pages did you get a sense of that when you were reading it that that you are reading
0: through one of the shortest quickest rap books in the whole series and it it felt that way it uh, did, you right? know how you said uh so i i can just come right out of the gate my hot take is that oath of loyalty is not a book it is one giant epilogue from mm. enemy at the gates you know I, I it's a little bit hyperbolic and i, I not to say like it's a, it's in a sense that is a bad thing but i think we're going to we're going to hash out some things over the course of our conversation to sort of like i wanted more there there was some some meat left on the bone yeah and to me part of part of the story just didn't feel like super committed to the story it felt almost like he just wanted to wrap up whatever loose ends were from enemy at the gates and kind of do a reset i i don't know if you dropped our pod our conversation with uh the redneck of reason we had a, a nice conversation with a with a listen with um a fellow rap enthusiast and you know you hadn't read the read the second half so i i was able to do a little bit of five minute spoilers with him. And I sort of said the same take that it just, it felt the shortness to me. I, I've i never, and you know, Brad had mentioned this in our conversation with him, how he's, I, I don't, I, I don't know if all readers are doing it. Did, did you kind of feel this within the blood as well? Like the shorter chapters? Uh, I know like Jack is trying to do his own thing and, you know, but are more and more I'd be interested to like go and actually do a deep dive into some of the these people that are in the, the the this genre and do a similar comparison to what this uh listener did and see that they're all trending to be shorter they are and at times I think brevity can be a positive it it can it can excel your book and at times the brevity can be can be a, a real negative or you know have negative vibes to the book and you know I'm not trying to kick this off being super negative but i did feel it in this book to the sense that i I felt that it it almost felt like this was just one long epilogue one long coda in in the sense yeah you know like to to wrap up whatever we decided to do in enemy of the gates and to be able to almost reset the story like i think at the end of this literally we can go anywhere you know I, i was talking i was uh Remind me of—I <laughs> keep on thinking of it as a redneck of reason. What, what? 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 Remind me of his name. Ben. Mike. Ben. Ben. Yeah. So when I was talking to Ben, you know, he he kind of liked this idea that we we could we have a new refresh. We we could do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Like the the cooks could never come back. The cooks could be the villain of the next book. We we literally don't know. You we know don't what I mean? Know. Did you get the sense of that?
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. That that was a lot of really good points. Most I agree with, but a few that I would, I would, I would pick apart. And just to start with that last one, I I think that is perhaps the second best thing about this book. Besides the opening chapters we talked about in part one, how we absolutely love the first 15 chapters. And to me, that is bar none Kyle's best writing. I think the ending of the book is the second best part because it leaves the door that open. I'm just amazed that a book that really had so little action, carrying essentially two-thirds of it, three-quarters of it, so little action, had me on the edge of my seat. I, I, yeah. it,
0: like, the the that writing shows... throughout this entire book from start to finish was very good.
1: Right. and, and that It was a very shows... well-written book. Uh, Agree. And that honestly shows because you are on the edge of your seat, chapter to chapter, not about who's going to die, who's going to have a shootout, who's going to do some badass thing with weapons. But why you're on your edge of your seat is the characters have decisions to make. They're built up so well and their network and how they're playing off one another is so good that you honestly don't know what what decisions they're going to make. And so it's minute by minute, moment by moment, catching you off guard. Because you think one thing and then something else happens. And so the ending with the cooks. And man, do I want to get there. I I ended up loving it. I I was a little let down on my first read. Because I was expecting the race to the finish. The climax of Mm. action. And it never really came. And so the last five, six chapters. They're so short. I'm like going through them. And I'm like, this is building. This is building. This is building. And nothing explosive happened. And so on, on first time closing the book, I was like. Huh, and I even texted you. I forget what word I said. I think I said conflicted. I'm like, you did say conflicted. I love this book so much. I, I, in my heart of hearts, was so ready to come on here and say, Kyle's best book, one of top in the rap series. I was nearly, nearly going to say this might crack. The top five is tough, but this was going to crack the top ten, maybe like the top eight of all rap books. And then the second half slowed down a little bit. So I don't know if I'd still say that. It's in that range. But when I picked it up again, and I listened to it with George Goodell, and that really helped me come around on it. Yes, And yes. And then I considered the ending again, and the ending was brilliant. And and I, the first time I was anticipating more action, waiting for it, so I, I kind of built it up for myself. But what I realized on my reread was, you don't need it because it's so it's so smart, and the choices being made are so great. When he's going into the White House, that is action. Nothing's happening, no shootouts, no bullets, no whiz bang, but that is action. When he's going through security, talking about the pool that Scott and the guys have on how long he'll live, and he bet on himself only to live 11 minutes, 15 seconds, that keeps you on the edge of your seat, even though, realistically, no action is happening. And so that plus... The very last, the epilogue, you're wondering if this is gonna be basically Rap and Claudia's last moment as free people, you know, or they're gonna be hiding in the shadows for a long time with this global manhunt. Or if Rap and Kennedy's logic won and they outsmarted the cooks, and and just waiting for that shoe to drop of what is it? And then to hear that he's resigning at the press conference is just like, damn, Rap did it again. Rap and Kennedy. They did it again. Even Joe Maslick did it again by anticipating Jane Hornig. Dude, there is so much to get into right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they did it, I guess, you know, on first read, I had a similar – or first, like, listen and and thinking about it, I had a similar thing to you. I was like, wait, that's it? Mm -hmm. I want to say I was let down. I I was just confused because I guess, again, I was building it up because, you know, he had said this is a three-book arc. And so, the first was like setting up the cooks. The second one was like, all right, something's gonna happen with the cooks. Like, one of them's gonna die. Like, even after we had you know gotten halfway through, like you know, Legion's gonna not renege on on Raps deal, and then that maybe that's gonna then cause one of them to have to get revenge, right? And then then it doesn't, and I'm like, okay what's the next book going to be about? You know, that's like the worst thing we can do is like always like, all right, we finished this one. We can't enjoy it. We need to know the next, the next thing. But I guess that that's a good sign of a good series. Cause we, we want what's next. Right. But I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, he literally can do whatever he wants. You know, then yeah. I do think in my heart of hearts, the cooks are going to come back. If they don't, I would be surprised, but they could not. I just think that, uh, I liked how it was different. Like, it it wasn't your conventional Mitch, go in, shoot him up. You know, it was way more logical, way more thinking, showing Mitch's, you know, and and, and Irene. Irene played a huge role in this book. We we saw a lot of Irene. Major Irene book. And also, one of the things that really elevates this book for me and, like, brings it up in the ratings is just the amount of callbacks we get in this book. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. We were talking about it. We were talking about it in the last pod. The amount of callbacks we got in the first fifteen chapters, and then it continues. You know, yeah. uh, walking in the White House, he brings up transfer. Kyle is a scholar, like a, a you know a rap ologist in, in the truest sense of like understanding the character through and through. You could you could argue that some of these other characters like sort of forget what you know they're book twenty one, not like you know not putting in the work, not caring about getting the the, the small details right. But we get when he walks into the White House, he points, oh, I'm sitting in a bunker not too far away from a similar bunker where I saved the president. Right, you know? right. In transfer. Getting a call from Grisha Azarov. Grisha. Oh. Scott Scott, getting weapons from the Lithuanian government. Uh, the, the Latvians. Government. The Latvians, sorry. From Lava. Red
1: War, where they bailed out their whole yeah. country, saved them from the Russians. Yeah. Jane so, Hornig. You Dude, know, that Jane was Hornig. transfer of power,
0: right? Where she was the psychologist? Yes and i think a couple books after that yes so just the amount of like sheer callbacks and getting the history right um yes. on that know, point just, again the well writtenness shines through and through and on that
1: point i'm just thinking right now lord of the rings rings of power i'm all into that people who are into the dragon show there's lore out there in these grand fictional universes usually in fantasy yes and you have to create a lore that lasts through every ounce of that story. You know whether it's new stuff being written or the first thing put on page, the lore has to hold true or else you get a fandom out there that will pick it apart and you know the lore hounds will you know crucify anybody who does it wrong and you know could put Kyle on the hot seat. He is just proving here he's a lore master. And and the Mithrap universe, I would say is one of the few thriller genres that goes so far from just being a universe, but indeed having its own lore. It's a I I can't think of a better word for it. The universe is so textured and vibrant and rich and now long, spanning multiple decades and two different authors. To me, it's just it's more than what I would expect in a regular thriller universe. You know, like what Jack Carr's building or I would even say what Brad Thor's done with Scott Harvath and the troll and everything. This is just another level to have this many callbacks and a fandom that picks up on this many things and expects it and wants it and thirsts for it, as opposed to just, oh, it's a new book in this genre I like. Yay, that was fun. Move on. When a Mitch Rapp book comes out, it's significant. It's weighty. It, it affects people's lives, like you and me and thousands of others. It, it's just crazy to think a thriller genre has reached that capacity and that peak.
0: I'll tell a little story, so. There's a a guy in in the neighborhood. Um, I play poker with him. He's friends with my father in law, and uh, we were playing poker last time, and it got. I think I think my father in law brought up the fact that I have this podcast, and he's like, "Oh, well, what's it about?" I was like, "Oh, you know, I, I do thriller books." He's like, "Oh, I like thrillers. What what do, what do you cover?" And I was like, "Oh, like you know, have you ever read any Mitch Rapp, Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills? He's like, "Yeah, I freaking love that stuff." And I'm like, "Oh, Brad Thor. Like, oh, I love Brad Thor." And so, randomly. Caroline's walking the kids to school and he's like it was this was Thursday so the book had just come out what Tuesday right mhm he's like i went to the library tuesday and to get the book and it said i was going i was 19th in line does chris have does chris have the book so i could read it and i was like yeah of course like uh, so i dropped him off my arc uh i also i dropped him off the in the blood arc um and the um rising tiger arc and then he sees me two days later at church and he's like, you know, I, I'm reading and Mitch, <laughs> Mitch is just killing, killing guys through the house in, uh, what well, they were in South Africa. And I just, I felt like a warm blanket was coming over me. I was like, oh, this is great. And, you know, just like meeting and interacting with people like that, you know, the people like, in you know, our patrons, uh, in our, in our, dis- in our, our, our conversations, you know, this universe it means something to people you know it it's does. just like it, it, it's 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 great and the fact that he told that to me and when he said it i i just felt good like i felt good that i was able to we were able to share in this experience um i'm able to share it with you so yeah no i just i felt like that was an appropriate time to tell that story i love so shout out to, to 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 the morgans so
1: kyle you have given us all of that and more you have done something so special for all of us please keep it going an Oath of Loyalty is absolutely up there and worthy of being on that list. And who knows how I'm going to feel about this later on, but right now I'm going to say this is Kyle's best book. Kyle's best Mitch Ratt book. Really? Yeah, I, I, I can confidently say that. I don't think it's his best action writing cover to cover, but th- it, in what it's doing and the scope of what it's presenting and doing for the universe and the series – I think it's his finest. I think it's his
0: most well-written outside of The Survivor where he was trying to emulate line with with em, emulate Vincent in a sense. Um I wouldn't say it's my favorite of his. And I think like, you know, we do have to get into this fact of we we brought it up now a couple times, the, the brevity and I think that's where it the book does get a couple notches down, you know, like yes. we we're, we're going to get the praises, but we're also going to get the clothes. and I I guess it just wanted more. Like I, I just felt like the especially the legion, the legion plot line. While it was super cool, was probably the weakest part to me. I, I don't know if you felt yeah. the same thing. Yeah. yeah, something that's on the back of the cover, the fact that like this, this is, it, it's the first, you know, it's in the the second part of the of the book jacket, the second uh, paragraph. All right, this is going to be the the main driver of the plot. First of all, we covered almost the first half, first third of the book. Not even mentioned. We we completely forgot that Legion was supposed to be in this book, right? We didn't even when know. It was, it, yeah,
1: they existed. Yeah, or it existed. So, so that goes to your point earlier, and I didn't comment on this, but I meant to. If this book is epilogue to Enemy at the Gates, I will say yes, but only starting about halfway through. I think where we stopped last time with Mitch escaping his house and the cooks putting out this hit, for people to go after Claudia and go into South Africa. I think all that kind of wraps up enemy at the gates. And then the new story begins with Legion and Hargraves, you know, putting out that dossier and Claudia's past. I feel like the opening of this book wrapped up enemy at the gates. And there, there is a hard transition to when the dossier is leaked and we know the cooks are behind using Claudia essentially as bait to kind of expose Mitch or, get Mitch out in the open. I feel like that's where this book forms its own story. So right. I would say, yes, it's an epilogue to Enemy at the Gates, but I would say more importantly, it's a part two of what Enemy at the Gates started. And I think the best way to get into it is to just go through some of these scenes or storylines because you could take this book and kind of break it apart to not not chronologically, this happens, this happens, this happens. We won't do too much of that. But I want to go with the different storylines. For example, you've got the list of Claudia's past and how Rap, Kennedy, and Scott are going to attack that to try to get ahead of the game. Then you've got the Legion arc. What is Legion doing and what's their mission once they're hired by Enzo Ruiz? We keep cutting back to the White House. So we get the Cooks, sometimes just Catherine and Anthony, sometimes Darren Hargraves in the mix. And then you essentially get Irene... Irene and Mitch trying to figure out how they get out of this, and then what I would kind of call the race to the ending, the Sadie Hansen, B.B. Kincaid on the ground trying to lure out Legion, kind of, that's the beginning of the denouement, or the beginning of this uh, closing sequence. So what do you say we just go through those and we can talk about what we liked, what we wanted more of, what stood out? And I even have a lot of quotes thrown in because I do think with Kyle's best writing, we've gotta dig in and hear some of these these great quotes.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I think we've got to kick it off with the Guatemala scene. So this Guatemala. was like right after where we cut last time. And this was probably my favorite part of the book. Like really? this, this whole op. Like the op and it, it but it happens super fast, you know? It's quick, like yeah. we we get another callback to what he calls um, the guy, like the one guy who showed up in a scene in uh, Lethal Agent, right? Damien Losa. Um, yep. Yeah. And uh, an- another callback, right? And that's how he's able to get the location of this Guatemalan drug lord and come up with this plot to freaking drop a bomb. Like, it's fucking insane. <laughs> and, you know, the scene of the description where, like, they're, they're jerry rigging this bomb, this, you know, Latvian, you know, probably ex Russian, um, you know, surplus. And what, at one point it like rocks back and almost, almost knocks Scott out of, out of the plane. Like when I'm reading this, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, holy shit, is Scott going to fall out of the plane. Yeah. And then it goes out and then, you know, it it eventually, you know, takes up the guy. I I found myself both wanting more. I wanted this plot to be drawn out a little bit more, but at the same time, I loved it for what it was. Yeah.
1: I'm with you. I, I think it does strike that balance of giving you enough story and enough action. sorry.
0: This is my favorite part of the second half. Sorry. Like, I think my favorite part of the entire book, it's gotta be the, the Claudia Mitch scene where she's like South Africa, you know, yeah. Yeah. When he's going to the house and she's in his, in his ear, like that was just fucking awesome. I think you and I will agree those first 15 chapters, whether it's
1: the escape from Manassas or the escape from the South Africa house are definitely the best, like the best action. Yeah. The, the, the best part of this book I think when it comes to action, you're right. Guatemala comes next. And so in the second half or this two-third wrap-up of the book, yeah, I think the Guatemala scene is is definitely the best action writing. It's actually maybe the only action writing, which we'll get into. And then at the same time, it's also just kind of funny because there's Coleman and Clarita (laughs) and Rap wants to ask, how'd your night with Clarita go? And then Rap is at this rager. And I thought it was... It's not funny because it's it's pretty morbid, but the guy, Carlos, who's essentially showing him around and, you know, giving him a who's who in this underground MS-13 network. They're driving the next day to the rendezvous point with Scott and the airplane, and Carlos is just dead in the passenger seat. like He just passes out after the shootout in the streets that Rap saves him from, and they get to the airport, and the guy's like, Who's that in the passenger seat and rap's like, ah, don't worry about him. I think he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't moved move in 15
0: minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really morbid. It's morbid. It's dark, but it's kind of that rap, dark humor you grow to expect. And then the slapstick with Scott and this woman, Clarita, whoever she was, that he was with, embedded in MS 13.
0: Yeah. Now, it's moments like that that, like, you know, where Kyle's writing and, and humor comes through and it, it really adds levity in the middle of this book you know you could be you could take it completely the other way and have this entire action and be just hardcore no nonsense type stuff but you know and I also think it helps having the levity makes it read a little bit faster you know like this I, I felt like this whole scene was probably you know what five six chapters but it it, it felt like boom like I just read it in one chapter Right. It it flew. It it is one of those times, like
1: you said earlier, that I did want a little more meat on the bones. I could have stayed a little longer, let it stewed a little bit. Because look back at this book, you would not recall the Guatemala scene off the top of your head if you're just thinking, oh, that's what that book was about. It was kind of sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all this, I'm already kind of peaking. You remember how much I liked the opening? Anyone who didn't listen to our part one episode, go ahead. I was ranting and raving about that and then this guatemala scene it's like damn this this book is kicking however i think it peaks my excitement for it is about to peak when rap gets the call from grisha azarov i think i texted you the moment grisha's when he saw the phone ringing and what did it say like gza or something on his phone yeah My first, it's very weird, but my first reaction was Gavrilo Gazic, because I think it was G-A-Z. Gavrilo Gazic was randomly some villain for a few chapters in, God, I don't even know what book. All I know is they were in Cyprus at some point. And I was like, fucking Gazic, what? Wait, he's, what? Who was he? I thought he died. He's dead. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, no, those letters were Grisha Azarov. I lost my mind. I was, and then I'm like, is he going to come back? I don't want that to happen. I kind of liked how they're friendship or their their partnership basically it was like they needed each other i liked how that wrapped up and then i'm thinking like wait where did we leave grisha and kyle gives it to us he was with the surfer chick you know in uh in costa rica or whatever you know he's he's out of the game he's out of the game why is he getting a call and just to link that into claudia's past knowing that grisha and louis gould you know had had history so grisha would definitely want to come after claudia But the world doesn't know. Oh, my God. And then Kennedy's little note when she says anyone who's looking for a connection between Grisha and rap, you know, like you wouldn't hire Grisha to kill Claudia if you knew that rap and Grisha became friends. And because if rap is dating Claudia and Grisha and rap are friends, you wouldn't use him for that hit. But Kennedy's like, no, no one in the world would know that because every op we did with Grisha, there's no paper trail. We never recorded any of it in any official capacity. Literally, the people in this room are the only ones who know about Rap and Grecia's friendship. So, no reason to suspect that he's,
0: you know, fishy. Yeah, I think we talked about it when we were talking about Enemy of the Gates. Like we were, or it might have been something else. We were talking about where is Grecia. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I like the fact that he wasn't like brought back in as a main character but we got an update on his life and it sort of does again close the book on him without leaving it too open-handed uh too open-ended i mean yeah and you know again loyal loyal readers will fully understand the connection and while giving us this this nice little you know little update we we didn't need to have gracia it could it could have been you know anybody else but it could have been just a different list of people that had no interactions with Mitch, um, but it makes sense, right? Yep, um, makes sense. But th- this, so writing out this list and going through everybody, you know, like you said, Kennedy, Kennedy takes well, one of them's dead, right? And then he's like, "Oh, I Scott's like, I know this guy, I'll call him, and he, he he's scared of Mitch, so he'll be off. Oh, I know this guy, I'll take care of him, and he ends up freaking." killing him in a very sadistic way and then we get to our other one Enzo Ruiz which is our next step uh and so Mitch has to take care of that just I like this you know going through the list and like Kenny's able to pretty much either come up with a plan or call up and and take care of all these all these players almost immediately right yeah except for Enzo Ruiz which you know leads us to our next um you know Mitch storyline. Yeah, they
1: all like have different roles. So Kennedy right there calls one of the names and says, hey, do me a favor. If you get this dossier and you get a hit, call me up and say you're going to take the job because by taking the job, they can maybe delay the hiring of an assassin and because they have somebody on the inside. And so Kennedy's using her, you know, vast connections from this job. Scott wants to go after the Sloboda guy. He hates him and he's like, I'll go kill that one. And Rap is going to go after Ruiz. So they kind of like are doing what they do best, which is strategizing and planning and then executing. And in Scott's case, definitely executing um, with some neurotic asphyxiation. But Scott Scott here just blo- – he dominates the scene in such a Scott Coleman way. When they come up with this guy, Sloboda, and Kennedy is kind of – she's reminding the group like, we don't want to rush into this. We don't want to go – kill we we don't want to kill the cooks that will upset america and kennedy has a lot of reservations about this brewing war between rap and cook and so as they're coming out with this list just listen to what kennedy she says she says quote we need to understand what we're dealing with and what our options are rushing rushing into a war with the president of the u.s isn't going to go well scott cuts her off and goes i completely disagree these assholes aren't going to just go after mitch and let me and the guys off the hook, if they don't kill us outright, they'll figure out a way to arrest us for treason, or murder, or put on some big show trial. We aren't exactly a bunch of nuns. I say we go after these motherfuckers. We kill Cook, his creepy-ass wife, and then we throw Darren Hargraves in a woodchipper. <laughs> it's so Scott. And the way George Goodell has that passion and aggression in his voice of Scott wanting to go throw the president and his wife in the woodchipper is just awesome.
0: See, I thought this kind of came out of left field from Scott because he he's normally so reserved and like the quiet killer. Did you agree with me and Ben that we thought that Scott's kind of gotten a level leveling up over the course of the years in the in sense, you know, I guess if you really think back to term limits, you know, he was obviously the guy, the orchestrator of that crazy, you know, s- s- plot scheme that actually executed senators and congressmen. So if you think about that, then it, it makes complete sense. Right. But. I think like from the first time we met him with later on with Mitch he's slowly gotten this beefing up. I, I at least I felt that the way this way in the sense that I almost find him like he's on par with Mitch. Like if 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 Scott and Mitch ever had a falling out, like that would be I don't know who would win that. Mitch would oh well ugh. Scott's
1: got to be a few years younger. We talked about that, no?
0: You know, Scott's like way better than than Mike, you know, like oh, we, we knew that oh, yeah. Mike had no chance surviving against Mitch. Oh yeah. But I, I would put Scott up there with Grisha and, you know, obviously Grisha got, got I guess did best him. He so bested maybe Scott. that takes him down, takes yeah. him down a peg, but I don't know. I would have a hard time picking, you know, Scott versus, yeah. versus Mitch.
1: Yeah. Well, that's true. But, but here's what I'll say about Scott's arc. I think you're right about the quiet assassin type. In an earlier age when he would take odd jobs for Kennedy and the CIA under the government's cover, I definitely just think do it. He was in the shadows, no questions asked, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, go off and do it. I will say, however, with his private contracting business and not really working for the government for the last couple of books, I mean just think Enemy at the gates. How giddy was he in Africa? just getting to build this compound with the fire hoses right. and the mudslide. He was just almost giddy getting to show off all the tech that he and his company got to use on this compound. So I get the sense that he maybe – he was becoming a bit more goofy, but he still has that passion of wanting to go out there and do the job. But yeah, no, I, I, I think it made sense that he wanted to be this aggressive because Kennedy was really saying – Slow down. We should we should do nothing. And rap also argued with her a bunch of times saying we can't do nothing. We got to go get the cooks. You know, if we're not if we're if we're playing defense, they're playing offense the whole time. That's not going to work out for us. And Kennedy's like, well, what's best for America is letting the duly elected president run his course. We can maybe pump the brakes for a little bit, you know, but taking down the president right now and assassinating a sitting president. Isn't necessarily going to move the country in the right direction. So I think that Scott and Mitch just want to kill the president and have a great time doing it. Makes sense to me. And Kennedy wanting to slow down and do what's best for the country in a very analytical, academic sense. I I think I buy that. So I think everybody's in character here. Yeah. yeah. Put so him in a fucking wood chipper.
0: This... <laughs> yeah, he just you know pointed out the giant elephant in the room. Um. So Enzo Ruiz, what what did you think of this, uh this section of the book where where Mitch has to go meet with this decrepit ninety year old man who his kids his kids are the one the reason why he's in the chair, but he still respects his kids, so he doesn't want to have Mitch kill them. And ultimately he's the one that has hired Legion, right? Mhm. So then the that sort of completely changes the, the narrative of the rest of the book. Yes. And I, I I, I like this interaction between him and Mitch. I don't know. It was, it was just it was different. It it was different.
1: And I think usually I might criticize something like this of who's this out of the blue character who's almost a plot device. <laughs> you know, we have to get Legion hired to kill Claudia somehow. And the president or Darren Hargraves couldn't just hire him himself. So let's invent somebody who can. But again, the nuance is there that I, I'm buying it hook, line and sinker. Not only because of his background, but Louis Gould was hired by his children to kill him. It ruined this op. It left him paralyzed. And ever since, even though he's paralyzed, he's kind of like Louis. He can't get out of the game. So he had to, even into his 90s, you know, run a criminal network, an empire. And so I think, yeah, I I, I kind of like that backstory. It almost felt a little Flynnian. You know, and the fact that we're getting this backstory of a character who's going to die that chapter, but that right. character represents this old-timey assassin who can't do it physically, but is still going to stay in the game with his connections and still run this this empire. So I like that. And then it, it was really cool when he knew Mitch Rapp was coming, let him into the house, didn't want his guards to disarm Rapp, let him in with a gun. And he wanted to be killed by the world's best assassin. Like to someone like that, he he's almost like if Louis Gould got to become an old man, but right, was physically right, damaged. Right, right. And, and to say like my swan song would be you killing me, and and me knowing Mittrap got me. And that's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that 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 was a, a cool little tidbit. Yeah.
1: And another callback to Jordi Cardenas, the. Spanish guy they meet at the airport. He was the head of security in Spain, and basically, Rap tells the guards, "If you have a problem with anything or you think something's fishy, call this guy Jordy. He's basically the boss. You know, he's the highest intelligence officer in Spain. He'll clear everything and say there was no foul play." So it's kind of cool. Yeah, and
0: there was another there was another book where Mitch, in the very beginning, is in Spain and does an op. I I was, but I remembered him. Because it's at an airport, um, they, yes. they have to like take somebody, one of the assassins, at the
1: airport. No, that's that's total power when they bring down the plane. Jordy was the guy who helped them devise the op to bring down the plane to make it look like a fake crash in the in the Spanish yes,
0: yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes.
1: So yes. name dropping him there is also pretty cool. Yes. So Legion, to me, this is a big change because Rap doesn't know who Legion is, which I want to ask you a question about that in a minute. But Kennedy, this is where I really bought into Legion. I wasn't tracking too much with Legion at first when it's dropped to Rap and who they are. But when Rap takes it to Kennedy, and Kennedy's like face goes blank, and she's just like... I think she even says, this is the worst case scenario. Legion's a real threat. To me, when Kennedy says that and has that reaction, you know shit's happening. So I, I feel like Kennedy's reaction here is what
0: brought Legion up a little bit in my book. Yeah, my biggest pet peeve was I, I would have thought that Mitch would have known who Legion was, right? Uh, I I don't think he's 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 still super active in the game. He knows people are out to get him. Irene would have brought it to his attention that there's this up and comer who has this crazy scheme. The, the that's the one thing I really didn't buy was a was Mitch was so shocked. -hmm. And had no idea who who this player was. Um, Now, I believe that he might not know exactly who Legion is, but to me, I would have thought Scott, him, Scott, and Irene all would have known. You know, it would have been like, oh, when they hear Legion, all three of them would have looked at each other and been like, oh, shit. You know? I agree. There
1: were two lines of dialogue something along the lines of, rap doesn't keep up with all these new trends. And we know rap doesn't do technology and. Yeah. He doesn't like keep up that, with that what the young sense. kids are doing. This is not a trend. This is not a trend. Right. And when it's in his domain, like I get that he won't keep up with social media or whatever, like Anna talking about an app or something or a band. Like, no. But when it's in his wheelhouse and it's in his universe of private assassins, I feel like he would know. He'd have to stay up to date on that.
0: Yeah, and I I also feel like Legion would have known who Midrap is. Dude.
1: Unfortunately, when Legion had no clue who Rap was and was kind of put off or tricked by his, uh, what is his name, Mitch Burnham or whatever it was. Mitch Burnham, yeah, yeah. I was a little put off by that. But then again, it kind of has become this running, I don't want to call it a gag, but this running um, fallacy in the Mitch Rap universe that no one recognizes him. It's like separation of power. Happened. He was exposed on live TV. Everyone knew he was a CIA, you know, black ops guy. His face was put out there. This happened. Anyway, maybe it's a generational thing. That's so long ago now. New private assassins for hire or killers won't know him. But I have a hard time believing that. So yeah, I I I got a little PO'd by that, but then I just filed it under the separation of power, never happened trope that's been running through the mm. entire series ever since and i was like oh, okay it's a problem move on
0: yeah see the thing to me though is that you know louis gould knew who stan early was and right. you know some of these uh, the older people you know mitch mitch knew who they were so it's not like his generation didn't study the the older generation so yeah you know, maybe it's just trying to show this whole millennial you know we don't we don't give a fuck about what our predecessors did type thing. Um, but yeah, like sort of, it's those two things coupled together yeah. um, that probably made the Legion thing the weakest. The fact that I would have thought Mitch would have at least heard the the name Legion and knew like a little bit about what they're about and, that, you know, been like, oh shit, like this is, this is real now. And I, I would have thought Legion would have definitely known who Mitch
1: was, who, who Mitch
0: Rapp was. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: I thought that was kind of weak. Yeah, I, I don't think I can do mental gymnastics to get out of that one. I'm just gonna chalk it up to that's how Kyle wrote it, and it's a generational thing. Even though I don't buy, oh, they're Iranian. The Iranians would have definitely trained them to know rap and the old guard. Uh, you know how could they miss that?
0: Yeah, I almost feel like there would have been a class on mid-rap, You know, sure, that, that they would have went through. He's you know, definitely or a in class the textbook about all. Yeah, you know, so. He, he I don't know, it's one of those suspension of disbelief type things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I guess we can we can save like sort of our other comments about Legion's plans later for when we talk about you know sort of the the run up to the end and and bringing in Sadie and BB. I guess now we can sort of jump to you know what are the, what the hell are Cooks doing during this entire time, as well as you know the Darren Hargrave character. Um what did you think about this dynamic? We kind of saw it playing throughout the whole thing. You know, the, the divide between Catherine and Tony. Um, and that's what I really thought it was leading to them either having a falling out or one of them dying because I just saw that it, it was breaking, you know? Yeah. And every single conversation we're having, you know, she's being put out, you know, and Darren's trying to come in and he's, he has a smile on his face cause he knows that she's losing. Um, I really thought that there was going to be some sort of culmination between the two. And in the end, I guess Anthony decided to listen to his wife and, and Irene because they, they come up with this truce. And that makes me believe that yeah, maybe we can save it till later. But do do you think since Catherine made this truce with Kennedy, do you think that she would come back as a villain and break the truce?
1: Yeah, We're going to have to maybe do some speculation here. There's so many ways it can go. I kind of feel like you, the cook's relationship the whole time is simmering, simmering, heating up. I did expect it to boil over in this book. But we were left, I think, you know, the top was still on the pot, even though the water and the steam is really boiling underneath. And I do think that's an opportunity in next book. Yeah, this epilogue really, really changes things. But I, I think it's an opportunity in next book to fucking blow the lid off. I think this whole thing is going boil, to boil up between the two of them and explode. So some unresponsible or irresponsible speculation right here. We know Catherine a few times throughout the book was hinted at that Anthony is kind of standing in her way while he's president. If he's not campaigning and if he doesn't win the next election, it doesn't just hurt him. It hurts them. And it, it really hurts her because she's supposed to come after him. And if he's a loser politically, there's no chance for her, which I think puts her in a really interesting position that if she doesn't love him, doesn't care about him personally and really is the diehard that we're led to believe she is i think she has to kill him i mean i told you irresponsible speculation but when anthony says when they're arguing quote if legion manages to get me i'd imagine you'll end up being behind my desk to me was one of the most telling important lines in all of their dialogue which is holy shit Catherine." could really benefit from something, be it tragic or an assassination, whatever, to Anthony. Catherine could really ride the coattails of that. She can get the sympathetic wave and walk into the White House. I mean, all that's changed by the epilogue when he resigns. And and obviously she's pissed at a resignation because, and she even says towards the end, you dying and being killed by Mitch would be great for me and the cooks and their power. But you resigning does nothing for us. It takes us out of the game. It, it it politically removes us from the equation. Which makes me think, I know that you said that there's this disease or whatever. She might have a personal interest in speeding up that disease. Or while the vice president is serving as active president, finishing the term, if Anthony dies... She could be a shoo-in for the vice president to say I was just a placeholder. Catherine Cook really is the standard bearer. Let's put her up in the next election. But does she have to kill him for that to happen? Or if he resigns for medical reasons, can she still go politically and stay and remain politically yeah. active? Or does this resignation, being medical,
0: the world thinks, does that remove her as well? You you, you saying that, laying that out, actually. It changes how I feel about the ending a little bit because right. right so Kennedy, I, I guess we're we're jumping ahead here, but it, it it makes sense to talk about it. Kennedy and her made this truce, but Rap and Cook made a truce, right? And it's a little bit different than what Kennedy and and Catherine their the, their truce they made, right? They, her, her hers was all about. We're gonna start up the the whole you know you leaving each other alone and you know just we're we're gonna go back to what we decided at the beginning of the book. It never included the, this this whole caveat of Anthony has to resign in order for him and Mitch to have 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 the truth that they want. So uh, actually, I could see now it, it makes complete sense now. Right. That Catherine's gonna be pissed at the start of the next book, and she's gonna be the villain. You know wh- whether it's yeah she kills she kills tony tries to rise to power and she's now the main antagonist with rap um yeah no that that's exactly what i'm thinking now i I don't know does that make sense no it makes complete
1: sense and another layer here like you said earlier at the opening this book leaves you having no clue what comes next how about this her idea of a truce was let's sacrifice rap and she said if you can get rap out of the way I will accept you and your team and your people to come work for us. And you'll actually get to promote your vision of America. You might hate us, but we both love the country in different ways. So if you work with us, you have a chance to steer us and guide us towards your vision. And Kennedy so far has been sympathetic to this idea of let the cooks be the cooks temporarily. Because we'll get over this, we'll get out of this, and America will still stand. But if there's assassination, if there's revolution... then America will not stand. So was she taking serious? It was obviously before the whole resignation plot, but do you think she would have taken seriously Catherine's idea of get Mitch out of the picture and then you can come and save America? I I think she even says at one point, like, would you, what kind of patriot, I think I have the quote here, yeah, what kind of patriot would you be if you sold out your country for one man? Well, that's what Mike Nash tried to do.
0: He sold yeah, out exactly. his friends
1: to do what he thought was saving the country and keep, you know, keeping the American government rolling. Irene. His best friend. Yeah, Irene is in the same dilemma now. You you know the, the your Her best friend, Mitch, uh, your you brother know. essentially, the, the one you took under your wing. Do you try to keep America going or do you let him play out his passions and get revenge? You know, like, where is this headed?
0: I think Irene took the truce, but knew deep down that she was going to be able to. Maneuver. Sell something to Mitch and, and maneuver in a way that wouldn't cause Mitch to have to die. Um, you know, Irene's always calculating. Um, but I think Catherine sort of, I, I think that they they came, they, they agreed on a truce, but maybe they didn't agree on the same truce. Yeah, exactly. they didn't. That makes sense. They didn't. Right. Yeah.
1: And they had a really good discussion about the nature of power. I think when when Kennedy was kind of sweetening Catherine up in that limo, trying to say, like, let's make a truce. Oh, she even says, like, these foolish men in our lives, you know, let's women to woman deal with these foolish men and their petty things. And Catherine's like, hell no, this is dead serious. You know, this this is this is real serious because this is power. We're talking about the future and the way they differ on their ideologies. I feel like goes from. Kennedy's approach to be friendly in shaping this truce all of a sudden just degrades and then they have that conversation about power. Is absolute power corrupt absolutely? Whereas Kennedy says, or are you corrupted by your very nature and that's why you crave absolute power. Right. Uh, It was was some some heady stuff there, man. Clash of Titans, man. When those two women were in the limo, that was a clash of Titans.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know. I was kind of hoping we we haven't yet to mention this whole love. It's not a triangle, I guess. The, you know the love interest between Nicholas Ward and Irene, and I thought for sure we were going to end up with her. Or I guess, do you think we're going to end up with her being outside the government? Or now that she's done this truce, she's now just going to come right back and you know be in the CIA again. Well, what that, do you think?
1: Th- that's why the resignation changes everything. We don't know the mm. vice president. Yeah. Is the vice president going to be a little bit more open to Mitch, Irene, and crew and the old way of operating? Or are they going to want to further weaponize the CIA for their own power? Or are they just going to be like a proxy to let the Cook still run the show? I have no idea who this VP is going to be and what it means for the next election cycle. I, I mean, damn, the next book is going to be so important. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And you mentioned Nicholas. Kennedy's still toying with the idea of either working for him and or having a relationship with him. Or both. Is it going to be a one or the other? It is the next book. By the way, did you want more Nicholas Ward? I wanted more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's uh, I feel like whatever chapters with him might have got you know Cut. on the chopping block four and just... Uh... I liked him as a character. I I, I loved him in uh, Enemy of the Gates, and I thought he was underused uh, in this story. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like was always off camera, always off page. Um, yeah, I definitely wanted more Nicholas Ward.
1: So, so that makes me wonder if we want more Nicholas Ward, we love the Irene Nicola- Nick Ward uh, pairing, but now she's also considering, under a new president, not the cooks, working her way back into. Shaping America from the inside are are those mutually exclusive or or Kennedy being who she is, can Irene bring the two sides together and in this book, she really was peacemaker in a lot of ways. She was yes. almost a diplomat, right? She was a diplomat in this book, a cunning, savvy you know diplomat with an edge. Can she do that with Ward and the American government in a way that when the cooks were in power, it was impossible? that now with the new VP and or next president after the VP, is there a way for her to bring these two worlds closer in line that promote her vision of America instead of you know, putting a wedge between them? Because there was a wedge between Nicholas Ward and the Cooks. Can she now show what the American government can do with someone like Nicholas Ward and all of his resources if they're working towards the same goal? I think if anybody's capable of that, it's Irene. Irene is president. That's a uh, that's an outside possibility, man. We've talked about that. A- again, irresponsible speculation, but do you think it could be this
0: soon as in the next election cycle? I don't know. I don't know. She's definitely more of like a secretary of state candidate, like for sure. Um and she was showing like in this book, you know, just with her ability to understand the geopolitical landscape, understand the domestic landscape of everybody's actions and come to, you know, level-headed conclusions and, and, and find plans, you know, her, her crazy plan ends up working, right? Um, yeah, no, I, this was a good Irene book, hands down. Oh, absolutely. Man. All right, so
1: what are we wondering for the next book? What will Irene choose to do? Who is this vice president? How the heck is that going to go? Are the cooks going to fade into the distance like Christine Barnett just popped, disappeared? Is, yeah, I hope I hope not. I hope not. Is Catherine still going to angle for the White House? Is Anthony going to renege on his res- uh, resignation? I mean, it's possible. He could say he's cured of whatever disease it is and stay in power. Are Mitch, Claudia, and Anna as safe as we maybe are led to believe? Like the final line of the epilogue is everybody's going home? Is that true? Is it gonna be all all roses back to normal that they can live out their life? There a oh man. There's so many questions.
0: Yeah, no, there's a lot of good questions. The sign of a good, you know, good book leaving us with, with some key key cliffhangers. Oh, totally. All right, guys, Uh, we got to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at ThrillerPod.com or on Twitter and Insta at ThrillerPodcast. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch.